Well, Howard came to me a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago, and he said, I'm going to be gone for uh, two weeks. He said, can you fill in for me for two weeks? And I said, okay. So you get me for two straight weeks, today and next week. So, uh, you know, I'd usually fill in every once in a while, but Howard has uh, asked me to do two weeks, and I gladly accepted with the consent of my family. I guess it would be okay because I'm here today. So we uh, definitely, I appreciate the opportunity to be up here sharing the Word of God with you. So I thought to myself, well, what can we do for two weeks? I mean, there's a lot of short books in the Bible. I mean, we could do Obadiah, uh, maybe Second John, Jude. I mean, some of these really short books, but uh, we're not going to do any of those books today. Um, just a little bit about myself, if some of you are visiting. I don't know if some of you are visiting today for the first time. I am a member of Beth Messiah. I was born into the family of God in 1994. I was raised in Bexley in a mainline denomination, but I actually started going to Beth Messiah in 1994 in a really old location over by Easton. Uh, in that, what was it called? No, even before that. Easton, uh, Forest Edge. Yes, Forest Edge. Sorry, it's long gone. Shows you how bad my memory is. But anyway, uh, Howard was preaching on the book of Matthew, and I was sitting in the back listening intently, and that's where I knew the gospel clicked for me, and that's when I came to faith. And so, I've been uh, been here for a long time. I'm here with my family, my wife Lucy, and my two children, Jack and Elise. I think they're working on the Oneg as we speak right now. And we do live just outside Bexley. I do lead a campus outreach at the Ohio State University, so we've been there for a number of years. Some of you have been down to our events. So anyway, just a little bit about myself. I want you to know me so I can know you and uh, get a little background about who I am. But what I thought I'd share today is a little bit building on what Howard has been preaching on in 1 John. Now, we're not going to go to 1 John, but as I've been listening to Howard preach on 1 John over the last couple months or three months, we know he, he likes to go through books, which is a good thing. I've just been so challenged by the interaction and the, in, the uh, relationship between, you know, what we believe and how we live and whether we can continue in sin and not sin and how much we sin, our sanctification and all these issues that Howard's been doing such a fine job of hammering out in 1 John. There's no way I can reiterate or summarize everything he's been saying. You can listen to the messages online. So as I went to prepare this message this week, I thought to myself, you know, he said something last week. Now, I, I know some of you weren't here, but uh, I'll go ahead and say a little bit of what he said. He challenged us in 1 John 3. I, I think he was towards the end of 1 John chapter 3. He talked a little bit about how we should uh, try to raise the bar in our living, you know, because First John, you hear a lot about sinning and not sinning. How much can I sin and remain in Messiah and know the Lord? But he challenged us at the end to, you know, not just settle for mediocrity or complacency, to really try to raise the bar in our living as a believer. And so as I took that away last week and I went away with that, I thought I'd kind of build on that a little bit this week. But we're not going to be looking at 1 John, we're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, and that's where we want to be today. We're going to look at this chapter because I think that 2 Peter chapter 1 has some insights into this very issue that Howard was talking about last week. Now, Peter, of course, was one of the original 12. He walked with Yeshua, he knew Yeshua. We know that many times we like to look at Peter as the one who denied the Messiah in that uh, 
you know, towards in the book of John, he ended up, was asked if he was one of his followers, and Peter, of course, said no, and we kind of look at Peter like he's one of these, uh, belie- you know, one of the early followers of Yeshua who kind of blew it uh, at one point, like we all do, but uh, he's a very important figure in the early community, and he, of course, has given us two letters, first and second Peter. Uh, the first letter is written uh, to those believers in the diaspora, and he's writing to uh, those who are being persecuted. But in 2 Peter, we're going to look at this chapter, 2 Peter 1, and I really want to talk a little bit about this relationship between, you know, when we come to faith and then the issue of our sanctification. Um, I think that's really important because, you know, a lot of times uh, we use these terms uh, in our discipleship like justification, sanctification, and, you know, there's been God knows how many systematic theology books written on this topic, and not to mention on justification today. Is, uh, there's enough written on that everywhere. But uh, this is a very interesting chapter. So Peter says here in 2 Peter chapter 1, he first opens up uh, with a couple of verses here, verses 1 and 2. Uh, he says here in verse 1, he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Yeshua the Messiah, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Messiah Yeshua. Now, you notice in verse 1 that Peter, first of all, says he's a bondservant and apostle. He combines these things together. Now, that word, that bondservant issue is something that we talked a little bit about at Beth Messiah. Henry taught a class on uh, being a slave of the Messiah, what we call doulos. In the Greek, it's a doulos. And Peter is using that uh, term there, bondservant or doulos. You know, doulos or slave in the ancient world was actually you know, in this context is kind of looked at in a, in a positive light, because if you're a doulos of the Messiah, uh, that means that you've given up all your rights. You don't even own yourself anymore. You belong to him now. You've given it all to him. He calls the shots and you are now under his lordship and you are a doulos of his. He's the master and you're the servant. Now, of course, I don't want to go into the uh, issues of history in the way that's misunderstood later on, the issue of slavery and to- things like that. But it's important to understand this context that Peter is using this, uh, this phrase bondservant in a way that the early followers would understand. Because if you came to faith in the Messiah, you became a doulos. You became his. He owns you now. You don't even own yourself. You give up your autonomy. So that's something to remember. But in the same verse, he also says he's an apostle. Okay, he's got apostolic authority. So while he's a doulos, he's an apostle. Okay, they go hand in hand. He has authority to speak about what he's about to talk about. So his audience understands that. Now he says here in verse 2, he says, To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Yeshua and Messiah. So he's saying to, those, to his audience here, uh, everyone here has received uh, the faith, the same kind that I've received. Everyone else, it's the same faith. We're all on the same level here. And of course, it's done by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Now, it's interesting when he says here, this issue of God and Savior, when he says this in verse 2, God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Uh, if you look up uh, the Greek instruction here, it actually places just one article before the phrase God and Savior. And basically what that means is that both terms refer to the same person. So what he's not saying here is like there's God over here, Hashem, and then there's the Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. He's saying they're one and the same, same person here, okay? 
Uh, Paul does the same thing in Titus, and there's some, a couple other scriptures that talk about this. So it's a very important, you know, it's a very high lofty claim about Yeshua. He's not, he's the Lord. He's, uh, you know, God and Savior go hand in hand. He's the same person, okay? Same person. Now he says here in verse uh, two, I'm sorry, I mixed up one and two. That was all verse one there. But verse two, he says here, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Yeshua, our Lord. Verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So Peter wants grace and peace to be multiplied to them in the knowledge of God and Yeshua our Lord. He wants the knowledge of Yeshua to be overflowing in them, of course, of who Yeshua is. He wants that multiplied to them. But what he says here, how this begins to be accomplished, how this happens, is verse 3, he says here, through, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. You know, that verse really grabbed me when I was studying this. It has for years, actually. Because if you're like me, just like anyone who's a believer, you say to yourself, just like Howard's been talking about in 1 John, you know, how in the world do I have everything I need to be a believer? Do I have, is God giving me everything I need to live this life, to live the, the life of a believer out in this world? But it's interesting that Peter says here, his divine power has granted to us everything. Some of your translations say, I, I think it might have a different wording there, uh, given to us all things, depends on what translation you're using. But it says here, he's given to us everything pertaining to life, and godliness through the true knowledge of him uh, who called us by his own glory and excellence. Sometimes you'll be reading that and it's just like, it's too good to be true. I mean, it's like I read that. It's like he's given to us everything. We have everything we have to be a believer. We don't lack anything. But if he's given to us everything, then why do I still blow it? Why do I still have this nagging uh, attitude that isn't really of the Lord? Why do I struggle with uh, maybe unforgiveness? Why do I struggle with impatience? Why do I struggle with addictions or whatever it is? You know, sometimes it's, it's like you read this and you maybe second guess it. It's like, I just can't accept this. There's no way he's given to me everything I need to be a believer. But what he says here, remember what he says in verse 3, he says, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything we need. Now, what is this divine power? Uh, turn with me to uh, John 14 and 15 for a minute. I want to talk about something here and tie this in. John chapter 14 and 15. Keep your finger in Second Peter, of course, because we're going to go right back there. Now, when I was a new believer, I, uh, I had a lot of questions. I was one of those guys that had to meet with Howard every week because I was big on theology and I just had all these questions about the Bible and I wore Howard out for about two months, I'm sure, going to Max and Irma's late at night and we're spending money in our credit cards, which he shouldn't have been doing at the time. And Howard back then, as you know, he wasn't like the marathon runner he is today and I wasn't helping that issue back then. So this is, I mean, this is probably 20 years ago. But anyway, as we know, Howard is quite fit these days. But we used to sit there and talk about theology and uh, all these issues of the Bible. And I'd say to him, you know, I'd say, what is this thing with the Ruach? Like, I mean, what, what, you know, as a believer, like, how do I live the life out that Messiah wants me to live out? And so, uh, you know, we talked about and talked about it. And then I went out and got this tape series by this well-known pastor. I'm not going to mention his name. And it was like a 10-week 
teaching on the role of the Ruach in your life. And he just hammered out like the entire ministry of the Ruach in the Bible. And I listened to it. And then I began to study John, specifically John chapters 14 to 60. I think I must have read them about three times a day, every day for like weeks. But it's interesting what I find here in John 14 <clears throat> is here that uh, if we come down to uh, verse uh, 16 uh, through 18, you know, Yeshua, of course, is getting ready to be crucified. I know we're probably familiar with this. He's getting ready to go, and they're sad, and they're not happy, and they're very, very upset. But he tells them it's his, his advantage, their advantage that he leaves. And so he says here in verse 16 to 18, he says here, I will ask the Father, he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then a little, little while longer, you will see me and you will, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And that day you will know that I am in my father and you and me and I and you. His glasses are still not helping me. Anyway, still working on this. Okay. So then go over to uh, John 15, go over to one chapter over and he says here in John 15, 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Interesting. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, when Peter's talking about this divine power that's come into our lives, I guess God knew that we'd really need help. We really would need help living this faith out in this world around us. And it's so kind of him to send the Ruach that Yeshua talks here about sending the Ruach to come to live in us to help us to live out the life we live. We have this divine power in us. But here's the problem. As I said before, sometimes you read 2 Peter 1 and you say, I've got it. It says we got it all, but I still blow it. Well, what's the issue? Well, the issue is several issues. One thing uh, that I've started to realize is, I'm going to use this chair here for a second as an illustration, is that, uh, you know, when I was reading John 15, uh, regularly. It says here, unless you abide in me and I and you, you can't do anything. I realize, you know what, if I don't just like at some point of my day sit down and tell Yeshua that he, I can't do anything apart from him, I can do nothing apart from him, I don't sit there and tell him that and confess that to him, you know, I just can't live the life out that God's called me to live. Unless you abide in me and I and you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I have to abide in Messiah. I cannot live this life out apart from him, living it through me. But for some of us in life, we get very busy, right? We have a lot of responsibilities. We're, we have jobs, family issues. Right now, we're ripping up our house, trying to get it ready to sell, and it's just stressful. Our house is in chaos. We've got one drywall ripped out over here, and uh, some of you know, I've, you know, we've been doing a lot of work on our house, trying to get it ready and put it on the market, but you know, as time goes on day by day, as, as more pressures build up in your life, you realize, I have to abide in the Messiah. If I do not take the time to get alone with Yeshua, 
and just confess my total dependency upon him, I will not live out the life he's called me to live. And so let's go back to 2 Peter now. So the point is that God has given us resources to live the life he has called us to live. And so this divine power, the same power that raised Yeshua from the dead, helps us to live a life of godliness. And notice it says here in verse 3, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now, this word knowledge here is not like gnosis, not just knowledge or a secret knowledge like the Gnostics were looking for. Remember when you read Colossians where Paul's dealing with the Gnostics, they were talking about having a secret esoteric knowledge. Yeshua was his transmitter of the secret knowledge and only those in the inside the insiders had this special knowledge, kind of cultic a little bit. But this is what we call epinosis. This is a type of knowledge that is full and it's rich and it's, it's a different kind of knowledge. It's really a rich knowledge of who Yeshua is. Now, how do we gain that knowledge? Well, when I came to faith, I didn't really know much about Yeshua. I mean, I was reading the Gospels, just learning. But we learn more about Yeshua, hopefully, and grow in our knowledge of him and who he is as we move along in our faith, right? We have to grow in our understanding of who he is, and that comes through studying the word, being in community, being in discipleship, prayer, uh, study, going to MSI classes, right? Anyway, I had to throw that out there. Taking all MSI classes. So we grow in our knowledge of him. Now, it says here in verse 4, by these he's granted to us, his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Of course, we have these promises God has made to us. We come to faith. I, I wrote down some of them here. We have so many promises that God's made to us. We, of course, have the rock, which I've talked about. We have grace. We have, God gives us promises, give us strength. We have instruction, wisdom. Uh, we're seated in heavenly places. God promises to never leave us or forsake us. He gives us a community of people to be around to help us, to encourage us. He, uh, you know, promises to provide for our needs. I mean, the promises are endless. I mean, that God has made to us when we come to believe in the Messiah, okay? And then he talks about how we become partakers of the divine nature. Now, if you listen to Howard long enough, you know that he talks a lot about we participate in Yeshua's divine life. It's his eternal life. That is something that I think I'll go ahead and reiterate there, that we participate in his life. It's his life we are attached to, not like we have our own little eternal life. So I would agree with that. Now, here's where it gets kind of interesting. So he comes down to first uh, 5, 6, and 7. He says here, now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. And if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful, in the true knowledge of Yeshua, our Lord. <coughs> okay, now, this is interesting because when you come down uh, to verse... Uh, well, I'm going to go ahead and finish reading verse 9 and 10. I'm sorry, finish 9 and 10. So it says here in verse 9, For he lacks these qualities as blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent 
to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Okay, now, when we come to faith in the Messiah, there's something that happens that's very interesting. Uh, as I said before, it's called sanctification. And we suddenly have to figure out how to live out the life. And I've been talking, how to live out the faith as I've been talking about. Now, keeping these verses in mind, turn to uh, Philippians 2 for a minute. We're going to tie something in here in Philippians chapter 2. And this issue of sanctification has to do with, of course, God in us. There's different views on the role of sanctification in our lives. Now, many people over the years will come to me and I've come to them over the years, of course, we talk about this topic about what is God's will for your life. I mean, there's only been, I last looked, 685 books written on the topic. Um, I don't even, I can't even keep up with them. I mean, it just, they never, it never ends. Every time I go in a bookstore, there's more, another book that's come out on it. God's overall will for your life is simple. Be conformed to the image of the Messiah. That's what he's doing in our life every day. He's trying to conform us to the image of Messiah. That is his overall will for our lives, okay? So he says here in chapter 2, look at what Paul says in verses uh, 12 to 13, in chapter 2 of Philippians, keeping 2 Peter there. He says there, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work is in you. For it is God who is at work in you, both the will and to work for his good pleasure. So sanctification involves God working in us, and it involves our cooperation with God. Isn't that interesting? God uh, doesn't just seem to zap us every day and make us like the Messiah. I wish he would. But he doesn't seem to zap our spouse or our child or friend or person we're praying for. Uh, It's interesting. We have to put out effort. Paul says here in, in Philippians, as we just read, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a role that comes to us to cooperate with the Spirit, okay? So when we come to 2 Peter, back to 2 Peter, he says here, what he's trying to say here is that when you see these qualities coming out in your life where you're striving, I'll go over these qualities in a minute, these issues of knowledge, self-control, moral excellence, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, when you're striving in your sanctification, at least you're striving to work with God, cooperate with God, that's a sign you're a true believer. You see, when we pursue sanctification, that's evidence that we know the Messiah, right? So yes, we still sin sometimes, as Howard said uh, in one of his messages, maybe some of us just sinned 15 minutes ago, right? Maybe you sinned five minutes ago, I don't know. But the point is, if we are going forward and pursuing sanctification in our life, that is the sign that we really know the Lord. If there's no interest, I mean, in pursuing the Lord or pursuing sanctification, that would be a problem. But the goal is here, as Peter's saying here, these traits that come out are evidence that you're trying to, that you actually, that's, that confirms your calling in the Lord, that you know the Lord, okay? Now, what about some of these qualities here? He says here in verse 5, he says, For this reason also... Apply all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and moral excellence knowledge. Now, moral excellence, moral excellence, we may figure, you know, ask, what is that? Uh, Really, that's just about whatever task is before you, whatever thing you're doing, you're always pursuing excellence, right? Whatever we do, we do it under the Lord. We're pursuing excellence, okay? 
always pursuing doing the best we can, right? And I know last week I was uh, more than impressed with some of our graduates just, you know, I just sitting up there thinking about my kids, you know, another six or seven years. You're like, people are saying, Eric, enjoy them now. Don't think about their graduation. But the point is that I was just so impressed with, um, you know, some of the things our young people have accomplished, just the excellency that I see in our youth, okay? So then he says here, moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. In verse 6, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, your perseverance, godliness. So, of course, we have to have knowledge. Knowledge always goes hand in hand with these things. Now, one reason, you know, we do need to have knowledge is because uh, we need discernment, right? Uh, There's some real admonitions in the Bible about those that are undiscerning. If you ever read the book of Hebrews, there's a passage there that talks about that. We need to be able to discern right from wrong. The word of God needs to train our mind so we're able to discern things, discern truth from error, to be able to discern might be false teaching, it might be just uh, to have wisdom to make good decisions, that our conscience is trained. We always need knowledge, okay? Knowledge is a good thing, uh, as long as uh, we are trying to uh, not, you know, trying to, of course, apply the knowledge with wisdom, okay? And then he says here, self-control. You know, self-control is something we all have to have. If you're going to be a success in anything in life, you need some self-control, and especially as a believer, because we're tempted and we need self-control. If you're like me, uh, I still, uh, you know, need that self-control with food, certain foods. I think we all do. And whatever it may be, we need self-control with what we watch, what we hear, what we think. Of course, we're bombarded with things all around us that aren't of the Lord all the time. And then, of course, perseverance. You know, we need patience. We need strength in the midst of trial. Uh, Many of us will always be going through trials, whether it be a hardship, whether it be a personal issue or something, that we always need that strength and patience, and God will give that to us. And of course, we pursue godliness. That's a holy reverence for God. We just strive to be godly, to be like the Messiah. But the point is, though, uh, you know, and in verse 7, he says here, of course, brotherly kindness and your brotherly kindness, love. Uh, one of the marks of a believer, of course, is love. Yeshua said, the greater command that I give you, that you love one another. Love is something that sets us apart from the rest of the world. It's a sacrificial love. It's not just a worldly love. It's a love that lays down our lives for others, okay? So these are the kinds of qualities that Peter says here in verse 8, that if you are pursuing these things, they will not leave you unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord. And then he says in verse 9, he says, He who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification for his sins. And then in verse 10, he says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling, choosing you. Notice he says there, as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So he's saying when you're practicing these things, pursuing these things, this is evidence of your calling, that you know the Lord, you were called in the Lord, and that you know him, okay? All right. Now, if we go on to verse 11 and 12, he says, if you're in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in truth, which is present with you. Verse 13, I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Yeshua has made it clear to me. Now, we know when we read the Gospels uh, in John 
John. Is it John? Okay. We know that at some point Yeshua told Peter, basically, he predicted that Peter would probably die, you know, that he predicted his death. And Peter knew that uh, he was going to die in some future point. We do know through tradition, not perfect evidence, we have some tradition, of course, that Peter was uh, martyred later on. So Peter knew that he was going to be leaving, okay, as he's writing to this audience. He's talking about this earthly dwelling. He knew that he was going to be leaving to go to be with the Lord. The time was imminent, okay? And so Peter goes on here now to talk about his departure. He says in verse 15, And I will be also be diligent at any time after my departure. You also be call these things to mind. For he did not follow clearly devised tales, and we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Yeshua Messiah, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven, we are with him on the holy mountain. Okay, now when he says here this issue, of he talks about we did not follow devised tales. Some of your translations say miss, uh, follow miss, that we remain known to you, the power and the coming of our Lord Yeshua Messiah. And he talks about how they were eyewitnesses. Well, in that culture, uh, there were certain things propagated that were be considered to be myths or tales. There was different stories about gods or in the Greco-Woman world, uh, different uh, beliefs about uh, hero figures, you know, that would help others and then be taken up into heaven. In the polytheistic world they lived in, there was all kinds of stories and tales about false gods and things like that. So Peter was aware of that. He was aware that this was going around. And some people might even say this about the story of Yeshua. Maybe this is just another tale. And some of the false teachers in this context, if you go into chapter 2 and 3, were probably saying this about Yeshua. So Peter reassures them. He says here, no, we were eyewitnesses of the risen Lord. We saw him on, in the uh, transfiguration. We were there. We were with him, and we heard God's voice say, uh, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We were actually, he's saying, we're actually there for the coronation of the king, the Davidic king. God approved Yeshua as the son of God. He says, sir, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, eyewitness is an interesting word. If you study that word uh, in the New Testament, it actually means those who are firsthand observer of the events, Okay. Some, some in the New Testament were uh, what we call direct eyewitnesses, such as John and Matthew, and others may be what we call indirect witnesses, meaning like Luke, where Luke says he gathered his resources from the direct eyewitnesses, but yet he was not there, but he got his information from those who were direct eyewitnesses to Yeshua. Uh, Mark most likely used Peter as his witness. When we read the book of Mark, he got most of his information from Peter. So the point is that Peter wants to hammer out that we were eyewitnesses. We were there. And of course, uh, we saw Yeshua on the mount in the tri- uh, transfiguration. Then he goes on to say here in verse 19 and 20, 21, he says, So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, and no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the spirit of the Ruach who spoke from God. So here we have one of really our only two statements in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3.16, and this one, to talk a little bit about inspiration of our Bibles that we read today. We don't 
really have a lot of, uh, you know, we don't have the exact certainty or we know exactly how it worked, how God, uh, you know, did this work with the apostles when they wrote the text, but we do know there's some sort of relationship the way God is guiding them with their human personalities, and he's using their understanding, their backgrounds, their literary styles, and there's a combination between the two, the human element and the divine element coming together, right? And that's what gives us our Bibles today. It's not a direct dictation, not like Muslims believe about the Quran. This is not like a typewriter effect, right? Where they're just like, what are you saying? What are you saying? But there's some sort of relationship between the human element and God inspiring them to write the word, okay? And of course, this is a prophetic word. Now, Peter's writing this. He's trying to tell them because there's false teachers in their midst. You have a prophetic word that is a lamp shining in a dark place, right? In the midst of darkness, you have the word of God. You have the prophetic word, okay? And this is something that you can rely on, you have to rely on today. Uh, you know, we're living in a day today, uh, quite frankly, where I think that uh, there's a lot of ignorance. <laughs> Just to be honest, a lot of ignorance and a lack of discernment uh, among Yeshua's followers. Some of the things I see them uh, saying in the public square, and I'm not saying we have to have perfection or we have to know everything, but I wonder sometimes if we're really soaking up the scriptures and really discerning and really uh, knowing what God's word is really saying, you know. So we have more than enough uh, opportunities here to learn at Beth Messiah. We're so blessed with BSS and MSI and Bible studies that, you know, we have great opportunities to learn the languages and learn the word, uh, you know, what it's saying and help, and of course, to apply to our own lives. But uh, let us remember that God's given us this text, you know, some people say to me, well, you know, how do you know God exists? I, my response is, well, does it make sense if he wants to show himself in history somewhere that he give us a written text? It's all written down. You can find out about him, what his purpose is for humanity, and anyone can read it, right? It's accessible to all people. So God's given us this text to meditate on and read on and know who he is and his purpose and his ways for us. So let us meditate on the word all the time. Now, the reason I brought up this issue of 2 Peter is because the one thing I really hope you take away is this issue of verse, I mean, the whole chapter, but of course, verses 3, 3 and 4. You know, when he says here that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, I want you to meditate on that, hopefully over the next week or so, and ask yourself, do I really have everything? I mean, has God really given me everything in the Messiah? I mean, I don't feel like I have everything. I mean, maybe I don't feel like I do. I still have struggles of sins and attitudes. But God says here in 2 Peter, verse 3, it says here, he's given to us everything we need to live this life out in this world. And so that's something to really meditate on, think about. And how does that play out in our lives? Now, I gave one illustration of the role of the Ruach. I, I sat down in my chair here and I gave an illustration of what I try to do. I tell the Messiah, let him abide in me. But the reality of it is the transformation doesn't just happen only by that. That's one way. Transformation happens really uh, in community, right? It happens when we're rooted in community and we are bearing each other's burdens and we're praying for one another and we're accountable to others and we're confessing our sins and we're living as a body, right? There's no Lone Ranger believers. Uh, transformation certainly happens uh, when we take these principles and we try to apply them in the world we live in. And that's something that we do with the help of community, working together. 
So if you're discouraged and you say to yourself, well, you know, I know I have everything. I'm still struggling. I'd be willing to bet that, uh, you know, part of the issue is that we need more community in our lives. We need uh, brothers and sisters to help us. Now, one last thing is another thing. I had someone come to me about a month ago and they said, well, you know, I have this nagging issue in my life and I can't seem to overcome it. I just want total victory over it. My response to him was, you're you're not going to get it because you're in the stage of sanctification in your life. You're not in glorification yet. You're not with the Messiah. You don't have a resurrected body. You still have to live in your flesh. You have your flesh, you have the world, and you have the adversary, as 1 John talks about. You have those three things around you all the time. I said, you can probably get some victory. I mean, I want you to have victory, and definitely you can get some victory. But to set that standard so high right there that I have complete victory over this, this personal issue he's struggling with, I said, you may just be setting the bar too high, and you may just keep, that's why you keep falling. So it's to set some realistic expectations, you know, and some realistic goals. But the point is that we'll never have complete mastery over sin until we're with the Lord, right? Until the glorification stage happens. So we look forward to that. But for now, God has given us those resources and those tools to live our faith out in this world. He's given us divine resources, and we can use these resources daily. We have access to them. We just need to tap into them and use them, of course, The Ruach is with us all the time, living his life through us, desiring to work in us and through us, okay? So the key is whether we will cooperate with him. So having said that, let us go to God in a word of prayer and let's think about uh, this issue right now and just praise God, of course, that we have everything we need to live a life in the Messiah. So Lord God, we just thank you for the fact that you have given us everything in the Messiah, that you've given us divine promises, that you've given us resources to live the life out in this world. And Lord, I know that all of us, including myself, struggle. Uh, We struggle with attitudes and things in our lives, you know, that we want victory over. It's just that part of the living the life as a believer. We just constantly are struggling between the flesh and the spirit, walking in the spirit. But I pray, Lord God, that we would be able to rest in the fact that you are there to help us. You knew we needed help. And that's why you sent the helper to help us. And we have community as well. And we have your word. Lord God, I pray that your spirit would do his work in each person here today that you have for them. And we pray, Lord God, we just thank you that Peter, who uh, wrote this, was giving them reminders, God. And we need to be reminded regularly of these truths. I pray, Lord God, we pursue sanctification and pursue a life being like the Messiah. Help us to cooperate with the Messiah on a daily basis through your rock so that we can live a life that's pleasing to you. We thank you for this day, and we pray, Lord God, that you bless each person here and help them to take away what you have for them. In Yeshua's name, amen.